Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys came ready to get in Word, get in God's Word today. Um, We're going to start a new little series. We just finished up going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, in November, we're going to go through the book of Deuteronomy together uh, on Sunday. So uh, be geared up for that. But for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on three verses that we find in the book of 1 John. And these three verses are... Pivotal verses, if you are wanting to be a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, these three verses are ones that we need to constantly remind ourselves of uh, as we live life, because as we live life, uh, these things tend to kind of glom on to us, and uh, this word of encouragement that we're going to just kind of break down and focus on for the next three weeks, um, it's talking about the love that God hates. And um, I don't really have much of an intro. I was telling Andrew a little bit before service. I'm like, man, I don't really have a, couldn't think of a great, perfect story to start off. And he goes, don't worry, man. You know, it's just like sometimes it's a runway and sometimes it's a helicopter takeoff. And I'm like, I like that analogy. It's more of a helicopter takeoff this morning. So, all right, let's pray. And uh, we'll dive into God's word. Lord God, we came here to experience you. And so, Father, I pray that you would be here with us. God, will illuminate your word to us. God, go to the depths of our heart that no human can, not even our own voice can. But God, but by your spirit, I pray that you would implant your word in us and that it would germinate and grow so we can be the people that you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, Look at these three verses and then kind of focus on one for today. 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These three verses are so essential to a disciple of Jesus that we're going to spend a little time uh, just digging this out. But we're going to focus on verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, needed to write this to these congregations. His letters went to many different congregations in the first century. It wasn't just directed to one church. But as John's letter, uh, as he wrote this, we now, centuries later, God designed us to read it and suggests that we all have this running in us, this inclination to love the world. No matter how many church services or prayer meetings you've gone to, this runs through us very deeply, this love for the world. 
No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, we need, need, we need to hear this word again. Do not love the world. However, in order for us to kind of live in obedience to this, let's kind of break this, this up a little bit. What do we mean by love and what do we mean by world? Well, what do we mean by love? Well, the, the word that Paul chooses to use for love, there's many different uh, words for love, but the one he chose is defined like this. It means to cherish, to have affection for, to take pleasure in, to serve. When you love someone, let's say you love a spouse or you love a parent or you love your child, there's cherishness in that relationship. There's, there's an affection for, there's I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to lay my life, whatever they need, I'm going to give them. And so John asserts that loving the Father and loving the world are mutually exclusive. There's only room for one of us in this town. Do not cherish the world. Do not have affection for the world. Do not take pleasure in the world. So what do we mean by world? Well, doesn't God say, for God so loved the world? I mean, isn't this kind of maybe contradictory to maybe some of the verses or things I know about God? Well, He's not referencing the material universe in this, in this verse. It's, that's God's beautiful creation. It testifies to us about God. But the world cosmos here refers to the evil world system that is in rebellion against God. It's the anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-family, anti-purity culture in which Satan presides as prince over the world. That's what the scriptures declare, that Satan is the ruler of this world. Now, when Jesus came, died and resurrected, Jesus gained greater jurisdiction than Satan, but he still has jurisdiction. He's the power behind the scenes. Ephesians 2 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses, in your trespasses and sins in which you were walked, which you walked, Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience. He is the power behind the scenes, this invisible world system that has perverted values, rampant sin, godless practices, which includes the world of media, entertainment, music, education, politics, the very, all these very things that kind of make up the screen of culture in front of us. It's not to say that all of these are evil, but there's an infrastructure with a system, with an agenda that is utterly hostile towards God and are filled with godless ideologies championed by godless men that try to suppress the truth of God in culture, in politics, in education, all just for more power, more control, and so there's no square inch of neutrality in this world. There is only room for one love. It's either your love for the world or your love for God. Both can't be increasing at the same time. One is growing and the other is diminishing. So do not cherish, do not have affection or take pleasure in the evil world system that is in rebellion against God. Do not love the world. Jesus himself spoke this, Matthew 6, 24, for... No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and this word mammon. Now, in your Bible, it's usually translated money, 
But this mammon, this word mammon, communicates way more than just money. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of the world that you can't serve the spirit of the world and the spirit of God at the same time. You've got to choose. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other or vice versa. This mammon, this spirit of the world is a great enemy to you and I. It's the siren voice that seeks to lure us aside, to trap us, to seduce and delude us, and ultimately to capture us. The world system that man has built is a manipulated existence in which he is trying to make himself blissful without God, a.k.a. trying to build utopia without God being the ruler. And there's, there's, there's this brokenness inside of us that gravitates to that broken world system. It's like a magnet. Well, you get this way back in Genesis, actually, where Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and built a city in Genesis 4. And that's what, where we begin to call this fallen world system we begin to see show up on planet Earth. And uh, it was a beautiful world. They exercised all kinds of arts. If you're a study of history, of archaeology, you know that before the flood, there was tremendous amount of technology and civilization. So there was art, sciences, businesses, pleasure, anything and everything that could make them happy without God, but it ended in corruption and violence, and God swept the whole thing away. But the principles of the world that caused that corruption and violence before the flood were carried into that ark in the hearts of some of Noah's children. They brought the world into the ark, and when the new world started after the judgment of the flood, they brought the world out of the ark with them and began to set it up all over again. So we have a human tendency that has always been the same, to create Babel or utopia without God so that we can be God's. We can be gods. You go from Babel to Egypt to Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome, arguably the Roman Catholic Church to Britain to America. These are Babel systems that are founded upon an evil world system. There's always been a choice. No matter what generation, no matter what iteration of Babel you kind of grow up living in, there is always a choice in between the world's lie and the word's truth. This is a lifelong battle between the lovers of pleasure and the lovers of God. And if we will love God, you and I, if we truly love him, we will love what he loves and hate what he hates. God hates this evil world system. He hates its values and it stands in complete opposition to who he is. The challenge, the challenge for us is that the world is aggressively evangelizing you. If you haven't caught on yet, probably from kindergarten on, you probably knew that all this marketing was geared towards you to make your life happy, and usually all that without God. You will live to please your true master in life. You do serve somebody. Kind of that old... Uh, Bob Dylan's song from the 70s, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And that's a true statement. If we love God, we will love what he loves, hate what he hates. 
But if we, we, we will live to please our true master, either Jesus Christ or the world. And you cannot love both at the same time. The enemy is willing to play the long game in your life. I'm a big fan of crime movies, whodunits, mysteries. Grew up watching Agatha Christie, Masterpiece Theater, you know, the standards. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. I had older parents, you know. PBS was kind of the standard station on when we were growing up. Anyway, which, by the way, anyway, I never watched a, a show that I liked growing up. It was always what my parents liked. And then it's like, dude, all I'm doing is watching shows my kids like. Anyway, so generational thing. So what, losing my point, one of the, one of the things about um, if in the confidence game, there's a short confidence game and there's a long confidence game. So a short con and a long con. Con stands for confidence. So, uh, you know, certain a little group of people would do a short con on somebody, but then they might do a long con. A long con might take years. The enemy works a long con on your life. He, a little compromise here, a little hidden thing there, and as time goes on, those things grow. We make excuses for them, all because we are loving and prioritizing the world in our life. James Ford says this, strong statement, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Very strong statement for a subtle enemy. Love for the world and love for God, like I said, cannot be both on the increase. And we see this story perfectly illustrated in a parable that Jesus shared before the crowd and before his disciples. And we find this parable in Luke 15. And in the context of loving the world, I want you to kind of hear the story. It's a common, familiar story. I want you to hear it with the eyes of loving the world versus loving the Father. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die, which is a statement of I could give a rip about you, Dad. I want my inheritance. I want what you can give me, not what who you are. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned before both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe of the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that's been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The son who loved the world more than his father, said, I want what you can give, what the world can give me through you, and I'm going to take that. And he takes it, and he wastes it in wild living. There's so many statements that I remember thinking in school, like, I'll never. You ever have an I never? I'll never do whatever it is. Five years later, you forget those statements. And as life goes on, for him, it's, it's going nowhere. And it lands him in a dead-end road eating pods for pigs slop. But the biggest verse, the most significant verse in that whole passage is verse 17. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, it was like as if the light finally turned on in this young man. To say, the world will always lead me around a destitute, dead-end road. Promising me with the allure of utopia. Promising me these promises that they're going to fulfill. But they never come to fruition. And so always baiting you with a little carrot in front of the carrot with a stick. We are led like sheeps to the slaughter from the world system. Because we don't see what's going on. And so as sons and daughters of the Most High God, it should be on us to see what's going on around us. That's the Father's heart for you and I. That we would come to our senses and turn our back from, to the world and run right into his arms. Every time in my life where I've had the most significant encounters with God, it's when I came to my senses and ran to him. How about you? When was the times that you encountered God the most? Was it usually the ones where you're just like, man, everything is awesome. And you're like, man, praise God. No, usually it's on the other end of that rope. It's usually at the very end. You're like, man, I've, I've tried my very best. And God brings us to the end of ourselves. C.S. Lewis' brilliant address in The Weight of Glory asks this question. Do you think I'm trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am, but remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And you and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness that has been laid upon us. That spell of worldliness is broken when we, like the prodigal son, come to our senses and we repent, we return, that, that curse, that spell of the world becomes broken over our lives. God wants us walking. God wants you walking in abundant life. But that spell of worldliness is broken and his abundant life, I said, comes out into the world when we die and let his life come out through us. It's living in his abundant life. But it's as we ran to him does that 
begin. So may the cry of our hearts, so this whole series is about breaking the evil enchantment of worldliness that tends to lodge itself in hidden, secret, unbeknownst areas to our consciousness sometimes. But we just want to break this curse. So may the cry of our hearts be, God, open my eyes. God, open my eyes to see what's going on and hear that if there's a love, an affection, a cherishedness for things of the world, I, God, I pray that you would point that out in me over these next three weeks. If there's anything that you see in me, point it out. I want to know. For it's our heart's cry that we're your sons and daughters, and today we affirm our wholehearted love for you. Grow my love for you, God. Jesus said, is it worth gaining the whole world and losing your soul? And I think that God's God's heart for all of his children, sons, daughters, don't lose your soul to the world. It's a dead end. It's going to make promises that you think are going to be real, but they're not. And it's going to lead you down a road of destitution. But trust me, son, daughter, for I have proven my love to you by sending my own son. So, as we kind of prepare our hearts for these next three weeks, just let God kind of just do his work in our heart this week. God, just point out anything in me that offends you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the strength of your word. We thank you that, God, your word reminds us where real life abounds. God, real life does not abound in the promises of the world, but, God, it is found in the loving arms of the Father. And, God, I pray that you would open us up, that you would wake us up, God, that you would remove any veil from our eyes or calluses off our heart. God, that we could be your people in this generation, in this hour. God, that we would be the people that you choose to use. But, God, it takes ones that hearts that are fully his that he uses in mighty, powerful ways. And so, Father, God, we just yield ourselves to you. Afresh to say, God, we love you. God, we're giving our love for you. God, we're giving our affections towards you. God, we're, we're taking our treasure in you and our pleasure in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guard us as the enemy prowls around seeking someone to devour Father, I pray that it would not be on our watch in our lives. And I pray that you would not only restore us, but fill us with this conviction and courage that this world needs from your people. And so, Father, I pray that you would take us by the hand over these next few weeks and train us and mold us to be your people that you've made us to be. Thank you, Father, for your loving word, your transforming word. But, God, sometimes it's a hard word. So, Father, I pray that we could be people that embraces the hard word and says, yes, Lord. So, Lord, thank you for this time. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the 7.30.
Diversity Life podcast.